Welcome to Con Fuoco, a podcast about classical music and its future. I'm your host, Daniel Cho. I'm a conductor and violinist currently based in Oregon, where I serve as conducting fellow of the Eugene Symphony and assistant conductor of the Oregon Mozart Players and Eugene Opera. Each week, I will be discussing one question about the field of classical music with a guest who I believe can provide valuable insight into where we are as a field and what directions we should take as we move forward into a rapidly changing world. My guest this week is violinist Leanna Branscombe. Leanna is the first prize winner of the Artist Series Concerts of Sarasota Competition Junior Division, Boca Raton Sinfonia Concerto Competition, the Ars Flores Symphony Orchestra Concerto Competition, and second prize winner of the New World Symphony Young Artists Competition. She has also appeared as soloist with the Vidin Philharmonia in Bulgaria, Palm Beach Atlantic Symphony, the Ars Flores Symphony Orchestra, and the Treasure Coast Youth Symphony. Leanna is currently pursuing her Master of Music in Violin performance at the University of Southern California's Thornton School of Music, where she studies under Glenn Dictorow. She received her Bachelor of Music at the New England Conservatory under the instruction of Paul Biss and Lucy Chapman. Her pre-college teachers include David and Linda Cerrone. She has attended the Heifetz International Music Institute, the Sarasota Music Festival, and the Chautauqua Institute. Leanna also served as a fellow in NEC's Community Performances and Partnerships program, where she presented numerous solo and duo recitals all throughout the Boston community. Leanna is currently a teaching assistant at the University of Southern California in non-major violin, and has presented several master classes and recitals at schools around South Florida. Leanna is currently part of the administrative team of Project Build Peer Masterclass Series, an organization that seeks to create a space in which young professional musicians can learn from and connect with each other. While at the New England Conservatory, Leanna also received a minor in creative writing and served as an editor of New England Conservatory's academic journal, Here Here, and student newspaper, The Penguin. This week, we will be discussing the question, How can classical musicians encourage healthy relationships with one another? Please enjoy my conversation with violinist Leanna Branscombe. Leanna, much for uh, coming onto the show. It's it's. I'm really glad to see you. We haven't seen each other in a little while, but it's it's nice to uh, Ken. Yeah, I'm so. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so excited to come on the show and and talk a little bit about this. Yeah, I mean, when I when I saw you, you know, announce the project, talk about it, I thought it was such a great idea. And I thought it was sort of antithetical to how, I don't know, the way that musicians' relationships with each other were, especially at our age when we're all like clamoring mm -hmm. for a few spots 
that uh, uh, of jobs mm -hmm. and, and and of all that. So I thought it was just such a brilliant idea. Um, so I just love to jump right in. The world of classical music with elements that naturally encourage competition amongst its members, which, you know, auditions for jobs, auditions for schools, you know, in youth orchestra, we've got seating auditions. And then mm -hmm. when you get to college, you have seating auditions, uh, like hierarchy of a teacher's studio, all these things. I think in some ways competition can be good, but in other ways it can be kind of bad, especially for mental health of people. So in your opinion, how does competition in classical music affect our field positively? And in what ways does it affect our field negatively? Yeah, so I feel that competition pushes us to be better. Um, we see our colleagues around us winning competitions, playing concerts, getting into the studios of great teachers. And we see what's out there and what's possible for us. So we look at that and we say to ourselves, hey, maybe, maybe I could do that too. And this in turn inspires us to work harder and to reach for things. We also see the process that our colleagues go on to achieve these things. In a sense, we sharpen each other. I, I mean, I personally have learned so much from observing my colleagues, observing their timelines, observing their exact practice methods and work ethic. And I've learned so much from that. And I, I've been incredibly blessed with the people around me, watching them going on to achieve great things. I mean, looking at all of our classmates from NEC now, it's, it's so inspiring to me. And because we see the reward, but we also see the journey and um, this inspires our own journey. And I feel the point where competition becomes something that's not so great is if it becomes something that's paralyzing. The moment that competition becomes an element where someone isn't feeling motivated to get up every day and to make their craft better. The moment it inspires inertia rather than motivation, that's when it's, it's not so good. You know, for someone, you know, even worse, to d develop bitterness or, or to feel less than excited for a colleague that's succeeding, you know, this is not, never a good thing. What do you think is the breaking point between those two things where, you know, competition is healthy, but then turns into something that is toxic. I'm just wondering if there's anything you think it would feel that kind of pushes people over the edge into that toxic territory. It, it's something that doesn't happen overnight. I think it's this gradual progression of events and just a gradual progression of a mindset. And I think that it's always important to always check in with yourself, check in with your peop the people around you to see how are you doing? How, I mean, how are you really doing with all of this? Yeah, we're not really encouraged to do that, are we? Not We're not encouraged to check in with ourselves. We're just like told to put the pedal to the metal, you know, full speed ahead and think about anything uh, until you c collapse, right? <laughs> right. It's really, I mean, it's really crazy. Yeah, we're not encouraged or we're not reminded enough to take that time for ourselves to check in. I think that we always have to remember that we are more than our instrument. We are more than our performance. And I think the second we start losing sight of where does our value come from as a human being. Um, it's not from playing with with perfect intonation on stage, you know, it, it, it's not in winning the first prize. There's so much more that makes up a human being and makes us valuable to the world and to ourselves that I think it's when we lose sight of that, that, you know, that things tend to start sliding downhill. Well, I love your point, especially because I mean, a thing we talk about on this show a lot, like 
what what is our goal here as classical musicians and what is the goal at large for the field of classical music mm -hmm. and i think for a really really long time it's been about performance it's a, been about like that perfect performance and making sure there isn't a wrong note and there isn't a sour tone in there mm -hmm. that everything sounds beautiful and like naturally that will call if you don't achieve that then you start feeling kind of bad about yourself but if we were able to mm -hmm. shift our focus to you know audience members and, and we want this music to touch people and we want to create a performance that ha is a genuine experience for people then those kinds of things you know you, you never want to have a note that doesn't sound good but uh like if it happens oh well it, you know that was a note that didn't sound good but the rest was pretty good and that's what you get to focus on yes for sure i i love that and i love what you said about making it more about our audience because at the end of the day um, you know, I was just saying to myself as I've been, you know, it's application season now. I've been applying to various like school things, competitions. And I looked at my violin the other day and, you know, I looked at it and I said to myself, you know, these were created to make people happy, to bring joy to people. And it's like we lose sight of that. And it was a funny moment for me because, yeah, it, it, it's such a beautiful instrument. And, and it's like we are holding it in our hands every single day and we we don't think about that sometimes and it's easy to lose sight of that so for many of us competition with our colleagues begins really early we begin comparing ourselves uh especially i think especially when we start to get into like those youth orchestras or those chamber groups and then that mix starts happening where like who's who's pulling their weight who's not that kind of feeling is is very is very prevalent from an early age I've met many people who have left classical music either in high school or in college mm. quite early because of this feeling. For you, what aspects of our field, especially in kind of the early and collegiate education, can be mm -hmm. changed in order to keep a healthy sense of pushing one another without it turning into what we just into this sort of self-hating cycle? I think as educators, we must be very careful never to predetermine or dictate too early a child's career path. I mean, saying like this one will have this kind of career, this one might have a better career. I mean, I think it's easy for us as educators to become very excited about a young talent and, you know, to proclaim, oh, this is the next great soloist or, you know, to look at somebody else in the studio, maybe who's not advanced at the time and be like, oh, you know. I, I think that it's very important to realize that at that age, we're uh, developing so quickly and, and in so many different ways. And ultimately, there's time to explore many different paths. And we're always evolving. Like, um, I, I'm not doing anything that I thought I would be doing like five years ago. Um, and I'm sure it's the same for all of us. And that's what makes us so versatile as musicians, as artists. It's very important to keep that in mind when we're teaching. There's this tendency when we're young to listen to everything our teacher says to really take it to heart and to remember this all throughout the years. We take these sound bites from our lessons. And I, I still, in, in good ways and in bad ways, you know, I still remember all of these wonderful things that my teacher when I was young, David Cerrone, would tell me. And I, I hear his voice when I'm playing still, you know, guiding me, guiding my um, musicality. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure this is a very common experience. Getting back to the question, I remember very early on feeling as though I was running out of time to succeed. And I was very stressed about this. And, 
you know, thinking back, I was about 12 or 13 when I was feeling this way, which seems to me so ridiculous. But I really, it was all consuming for me. I really believed I was out of time. I'm not going to be successful. It's over for me. There's no hope. And I, you know, I carried this around for a very long time and I was extremely ashamed of it. And so I never really opened up about it. And I remember there was a very formative moment for me at NEC and I was getting ready for one of my, my recitals, not my senior recital, but one of the ones before. And I was telling my, I really finally opened up to one of my mentors and I said, you know, I feel like I'm not going to be successful. I'm not going to succeed. It's over for me. You know, what I should have done when I was like six, seven, eight, you know, I didn't do. And now it, I'm not going to have the career I want. And it was a big emotional moment for me. And I will never forget his reaction. He just laughed. And he said, at your age, to worry about your career, it's a sin. <laughs> and I was like, shocked i i did not expect that reaction and i was so shocked i i just kind of just stood there like thinking about it i went home and i thought about it some more and it was actually one of the most freeing beliefs for me to adopt and i after i started thinking about this i started playing better and i started applying to more things and i started to see like gradually like more and more happiness at where I was at in my career and in my playing. Yeah, I think when it's it's dangerous to make judgment calls, especially with musicians at an early age about, you know, whether they're talented or not, or whether they will have a career in music or not, because they're a, a child and they don't like they don't really know or ha are like uh, they don't really know how to work yet. They don't really know who they are yet. They don't know anything. Yet and I mean mm -hmm. and especially when you're when you are a teacher and you do make that judgment call, the student can feel whether or not you believe them or not, and naturally affects mm -hmm. their own confidence. And so, as though we can tell who's going to be successful and who's not when they're six or seven, is kind of uh, mm -hmm. ridiculous, and it it does a lot of damage mm -hmm. actually. And I I would agree yes. with you. With me, I I was paralyzed by fear and by um, kind of this insecurity about where my future was going to be, mm -hmm. I would look around and be like, oh, I'm not where everyone else is at. So I'm I'm trash. Mm -hmm. And then once I was able to get over that and to kind of play with confidence and to speak with confidence and to, you know, approach music with confidence, then I started to really flourish. And I, I wish that that could, ha could have happened earlier. And I hope that it happens earlier for future generations. Yes. Absolutely. Because our confidence affects so much about, you know, our mentality of playing. And again, that is what comes out to the audience. And, you know, if we are really loving what we are doing and we have something that's beautiful and so beautiful, we want to share it with other people. It's hard to remember that. As I was thinking about, you know, our early years, I think something else that needs to change, like absolutely has to change in our field is this culture of, of gossip and secondhand criticism that can infiltrate even the most well-meaning environments. And, you know, in at least from, from my experience, I've never found that this was in any way malicious or ill-intentioned. I think that, you know, we're all guilty of sometimes making negative comments about our colleagues. And this starts very young. And it's not been my experience that people are trying to hurt each other. Like, I want to make that very clear. But what I do see happening is sometimes private conversations are being repeated to that person and hearing these things, it, it affects someone. It, it can really um, do a lot of 
harm because you're just talking about one snapshot, one moment, one performance or season and your one comment, you know, to sum up one person's opinion. And, you know, it's like these comments are often never intended to be heard and it, it can sow doubt in, in our colleagues. So I would just love to encourage everyone, like if you hear something negative, whether or not you want to shut down the conversation, but don't engage with it in, you know, don't tell that person and like don't let that message live on i mean that being said i think for me personally i've just adopted an attitude of like what people say about me in private it's really none of my business i mean i think that that's important to remember like especially when we're children you know to impart to our students as well i think all of us we understand that everybody has performances or has a day where they didn't play their best or they weren't feeling their best. And so it just like didn't happen. And so like making a judgment call about someone's playing because you heard them play this one note wrong or play or heard this, heard them not sound great. This one performance is, I think it says more about the person who makes that judgment than the actual performer. And because yes. because we, we all know that we all know you wake up in the morning sometimes and you just like your fingers won't move or like yes. you can't breathe correctly. Mm-hmm. And just like we all know that. So like why it, it just speaks to the insecurity in our field mm-hmm. and the feeling of needing to judge someone and to put someone down to make yourself feel good that, oh, I recognize that they didn't sound good. So that means I'm a good musician. That kind of, I think that needs to go away because that's mm-hmm. kind of annoying. Yeah. You know? It doesn't do any anyone any good. Yeah, we don't need that. <laughs> so can you please describe a relationship you have had in your life or you currently have in your life with a musician that you think fondly of as a healthy, balanced and, and an inspiring relationship. It needs to be someone who's like a really great friend. It can just be someone who you just have this really healthy relationship with and it feels like this is the relationships that I hope we all have. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been so fortunate to have so many wonderful supportive musical friendships over my life. It's, it's honestly really hard to choose just one. Um, you know, I've had colleagues that we could play for each other anytime and you know I could always go to them for any kind of musical or technical advice I've been blessed to be have been mentored by people who are just a little bit older than me and further along in their careers people who have consistently given me wisdom and perspective um, no matter what and who are not afraid to have serious talks with me about what I needed to work on in my playing, you know, a kind of tough love mentality. And that to me was invaluable. I mean, I, I really wouldn't know my path without all of the people around me. I've applied for competitions in tandem with some of my best friends. And I remember this one instance, I was applying for this competition with this violinist that I really, really admired. And, you know, we made our tapes, we listened to each other's tapes, and we were like, okay, we're, we're gonna send it in. And we send it in, and then a couple of months later, our rejection letters came back. And I was so ashamed, I came in and I, I came back and I said, you know, I, I didn't get in, you know. And he said, oh, it's okay, I didn't get in either. And we looked at each other and we smiled. And he said to me, shared pain is half the pain. And I, it was very freeing for us because, you know, we looked at each other. We were like, hey, you know, you're you're doing great in in life. You're, you're I admire you as a violinist. And it's OK that I didn't get in because you didn't get in. And it's 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 it was a very, you know, like it allowed us to have that rejection not define us because ultimately 
there will always be another competition and there will always be another job application. And I had um, the same person say to me, you know, after a night of applying to various things, you did the most important thing. You applied. And after that, I found I started applying to more things because I realized that, hey, you know, that's so true. Um, It's like these little freeing moments that were just so um, constructive for me. I lived with this wonderful violinist, uh, my housemate Leonard Fu, for, for three years when I was in Boston. And we would play for each other all the time. And he was incredibly supportive to me and obviously just such a great, great musician. And I remember one time I was playing for him and what he was saying to me was just so helpful. I, it suddenly occurred to me, you know, the colleagues around us of today are going to be the wonderful artists of tomorrow and already, of course, but also the teachers that all of the younger generation wants to study with. And so I, I can imagine all these kids wanting to study with Leonard, you know, trying to get into his studio or, um, you know, if, if he's teaching. And, and I had the luxury of living in the next room to him and I could play for him any time. And I think it, it's always important to soak up the wisdom that's always around us. As much as we um, can learn from our colleagues, the better. I was always very lucky to also play with people who were incredibly supportive and I did a couple small recital tours with wonderful pianists that inspired me to always work harder and to so that I could bring more to the table to every rehearsal to every concert. You know, this applies like, you know, whether I'm playing a sonata or or or, or a quartet or in an orchestra. I the colleagues around me, I've been so blessed with the people in my life, really. So would you say what would you say is specifically about these relationships you've had that made you feel this way, made you feel supported and made you feel good? Was it, you know, is it there? It feels like they were focusing on you as a person and not as like not just as a musician because they they liked you as a person. They they wanted to, you know, support you. They wanted you some advice and, and they wanted to help you improve that just that naturally extends to your musicianship but it's it doesn't seem like it was just all about your music yes i i really love that question because with all of these relationships i felt that there was never any danger of if i don't play well they're not going to want to hang out with me or they're not going to respect me anymore there was such a mutual respect between us that you know I never felt I was constantly having to prove myself and you know vice versa I mean it was such a place of non-judgment you know I could go to all of these people you know if I was struggling if I was having problems with my playing if I needed advice on you know on anything and and if I you know had a passage that I just was so unhappy with I would feel no qualms about taking it to them and asking for help and I think that that was so important because they they looked past the value as a violinist and they looked into me as a human being and I felt incredibly safe in all instances with with them yeah yeah, I think I think in settings like orchestras and settings and in, in conservatories or music schools or, or any kind of setting that we are in entrenched in, it's easy f- to meld a person's musicianship with who they are as a 
person and to judge someone as based on their musicianship, Mm -hmm. which is like, I think it's so dangerous. It can be so dangerous because playing, playing and having a good sound can just be so unreliable. (laughs) Just it's, it's, it's like, it literally depends on how, how, how you're feeling when you wake up in the morning. For sure. It's it's something that could go away at any moment, um, which is terrifying. You know, one day you could you could have an injury, you know, you could have an accident, you know, and, you know, we do live in kind of this constant fear of that. But um, knowing that that at the end of the day, if I mean, forbid that this should ever happen, but if you could not play your instrument anymore you could not make music anymore you would still be just as valuable and you know I've been so lucky to have people always around me to remind me of that so you're you're a part of the team of project build and it's it's, this is the reason I wanted to have you uh, on the show because I just thought this was such a brilliant wonderful idea project build is a peer masterclass series open to conservatory students and young professionals whose mission is to build and strengthen musicianship through interconnected friendship. How the word friendship is in your your kind of mission statement. I, I find that wonderful because that's not something you really hear in, in, in the music. Can you tell us a little bit about joining the team and how this wonderful organization came about? So at the start of, of COVID-19 pandemic, I logged onto Facebook and I noticed that my wonderful friend, Violist Maya Fields, had posted asking if anyone would be interested in setting up a weekly meeting where we could play for each other to get feedback from our colleagues and kind of have a big studio class across all instrument disciplines. So, of course, I was very excited about this and I said, please count me in. And the idea was that we could have a consistent space in which we would push each other to perform while practicing the most effective ways of giving critiques and giving feedback. And so this sort of started off as, you know, a group of friends playing for each other. And after a few weeks, we were thinking, oh, this is really great. You know, we should we should try to make this happen, like, all the time, you know, even when there's no more pandemic. And we were so lucky to have several guest artists come to teach the master classes as well, such as Michael Uzonian, former principal violist of the Met Opera, Kathleen Collins of the Cleveland Orchestra, Alexander Traeger, former LA Field Concertmaster. I, I was so touched by their willingness to come and, and spend a couple hours of their Saturday with us. We've had excerpt classes and, and technique classes and in discussions on topics such as performance anxiety, teaching during the pandemic, you know, etude and technique work. You know, this really filled a void in my musical life because at the time it had so many concerts and recitals canceled and I was missing that. I was sad and I was missing that constant pressure to get up on stage and perform and preparing for things. And I'm just so grateful to Maya for asking me to be part of this team. That's amazing. I, th- I think it's it's also it. it... If I, the way that you felt probably is how all these, you know, visiting artists felt where, you know, all their livelihoods, their jobs were gone. And so this opportunity to just back to basics, just to play for each other, to help each other out and give each other some advice that probably was very healing, I would imagine, for, for these visiting artists and for everyone who is a part of the organization. 
so you meet uh, once a week. Is that is that correct? Yes. So we meet every Saturday from 12 to 2 Eastern time for anyone who wants to join us please send me a message or, or get in touch with the team most of the weeks it's just peer-to-peer -peer. Um, we'll have what we call peer master classes where several people will sign up to play send in their their scores to to us we come on and we play for each other and we give each other comments about the playing and you know it's a way to you know like in school we have studio class but you know this is like such a wonderful way that we can get feedback um, and ideas from people across all instrument disciplines and with so many different perspectives. So yeah, and then after everyone plays, we'll have a discussion section and we'll talk about various topics that people want to get more ideas for. Um, so we'll spend about an hour or so talking about that. So uh, what, what was the like most recent topic that you discussed? Is it just about performance or do you talk about career development or anything like that? Yes, for sure. I think so. Our most recent discussion was about how to approach new repertoire. How what is our process for learning, learning new repertoire? we've talked about you know like how how do you score study you know how do you like do you listen to recordings right up front do you shy away from doing that and everybody has a different method and for me it was so enlightening to see how everyone approached it differently it's a really great setting to do that because it's everyone's like you said has their own process and so not presenting someone's idea as like this is the way to do it but to be like, this is the many different ways that people go about doing this. You should pick the one that works the best for you and the one you feel speaks to you as a person. Absolutely. I love that about the space that we've tried to create, knowing that there's not just one right answer, which is, you know, obviously it's always wonderful when we have a guest teacher to come in, but it's also so wonderful to be amongst colleagues and to bounce all these ideas off of each other and see what other people are doing. It's I, sometimes I just sit back in awe of, of what people are saying and, you know, it's, it's certainly helped me a lot. So what about the um, project build, the whole experience of being a part of this, this kind of weekly discussion, this weekly peer masterclass, being able to play for each other? What have you been able to get from doing that that you haven't been able to get elsewhere? As I look out over our field right now, especially in the educational sector um, for the collegiate level, I don't see any other place where I could go and meet new colleagues and play for them and get their feedback in such a supportive environment. And to be able to play for pianists, for singers, trumpet players, flutists, like the kind of ideas I receive from them are so vastly different from if I'm in studio class with Professor Dictoro and you know that's obviously wonderful as well but this you see so many different perspectives you see so many people who had wildly different points in their careers it's helped me to be able to connect with so many different people I mean especially during this pandemic I, I haven't seen anyone in maybe three months, you know, since living with my parents. So I feel that that's something that's, you know, really saved me during during this time. And, you know, I get so many of my musical ideas from 
the pianists that I play with, from the cellists and violists I work with in quartets. And this time, we're not really able to play chamber music as much. And being able to have a community where I, I know I can rely on them always and I know that always going to be a place that pushes me to do my best in the best way possible it's it's been so valuable for me I love your point that you can get different perspectives from different instrument groups because in school we're not really encouraged to mingle with different disciplines and with the like you know string players never really talk to wind and winds wind players and wind players never really talk to brass players and we never we all of us don't really ever talk to this and like i i all of my best friends during our time at nec were um horn players and i remember just learning so much from them from the different from their different perspective and from just like their their roles in the orchestra is really different from ours as violinists because mm -hmm. they are all playing their own part. So there's a certain level of responsibility and autonomy that they all have that we don't need to have. Mm -hmm. I mean, we should have, but we often, we often don't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's 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 like just the idea of the that their attitude that they brought to rehearsals and the amount of listening they're doing because there is a certain higher level of pressure on them for what they're doing and and just that kind of being around them just so much from that and I imagine it's the same for project build that that's such a great point about the autonomy you know that we often we don't feel that pressure in the orchestra and you know we really probably should but you know ultimately sometimes that doesn't end up happening and being able to you know because I I haven't done a lot of orchestral playing um and being able to to see that perspective. Um, we had a very, very wonderful trumpet player um, come to many of our meetings and, you know, seeing just that focus, that consistency, you know, always being on it, you know, no matter what, it's, it's formidable and it's inspiring. I, I, I want to talk about the future and where, where you think we might be headed. As our generation begins to step forward into these positions of leadership, of being conductors, of being teachers, of being deans, of being concert masters, and we'll, we'll also be training the next generation of musicians as our field goes. It's an oral tradition that we pass down. Based on your experiences as a classical musician and as a team member of Project Build, what lessons and mindsets do you think are really, really important for us to hand down to the next generation? And specifically, things in which we think our field can be different from it, the way it has been in the past in order for them to have healthy relationships and, and, and inspiring relationships with one another. It's imperative that we encourage camaraderie between our students and between students of other teachers as well. Yeah, that's not something that's really like... Uh, I don't feel that for me, that was really encouraged. Like this idea of like, you guys should really get together and, and be together and support each other. That that was not something that was instilled in me. And I imagine it wasn't for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't something that I experienced at all, especially as a young pre-college um, student. Yeah, I remember you know, when I was studying with the Surrounds, I was... I was their only student for a time and I, you know, I really didn't have anyone with whom I I could talk with about what I was, what I was going through or to hear somebody else's perspective. And 
you know, to realize it was normal, some of the things I was dealing with. Um, I think that's a big thing for students is they think that there's this tendency to think, oh, no, like I am the only one struggling right now. And, you know, I think as much as we can show our students that they're not alone, that so many other people have had the same questions they've had and have overcome any difficulty that they might be struggling with. As much as we can healthily erase the power imbalance that sometimes develops, you know, I've had many of my teachers say to me that they think of their students as their younger colleagues, which for me was an alien idea. And, but it makes sense. And it's, it's something that's very encouraging and very freeing, I think. And I want to embody that when I teach as well. Amazing. Uh, I like to end all these conversations with one last question. Are you currently going through any non-musical obsession or something you're very passionate about? Oh, I don't know if you can see it, but I love acrylic art and I, you know, I'm completely an amateur, but I, you know, I have been do trying to do some abstract acrylic art and, you know, art is really like um, music. There's structure, um, there's emotions, there's violence even, which for me is very important in my acrylic art. You know, having an element of, of passion or, or violence or something that we forget about sometimes. You know, we, we tend to portray everything that's, that's wonderful in life, but we forget to be vulnerable sometimes. And I, I've s undertaken trying to teach myself how to paint so that I can explore the vulnerabilities of myself a little more. You know, that's my current obsession. Um, I, I think that's a, something very good for this overall question as well. Finding hobbies that you enjoy. Like a couple years ago, I got into <laughs> modeling as well. I mean, obviously very amateur. It's something that helped me play better. It's something that I enjoy and helped me to step outside of my field. You know, being a completely, a complete novice. And it helps me to remember, you know, we're always learning in everything. We should approach it as a novice. Amazing. Well, Liana, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Uh, I love the idea of Project Build and I the, the idea that the future that it's taking us towards. And I, I hope that we all follow your example a little more and treat each other as human beings rather than just defining each other by our musicianship. Because as we said earlier, it's really just depends on how you're feeling in the morning and that's okay. I love that. Thank you so much for having me on today. That was my conversation with violinist Leanna Branscombe. If you're interested in learning more about Project Build, please visit the organization's pages on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you very much for tuning into the podcast. Confuoco can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcast. This will help others find the show. Confuoco is produced by me, Daniel Cho. See you next week. Thank you.